Welcome back. Great to see you again. My name is James Paniki. I'm a senior editor here at MLEX, and this is our weekly podcast covering the top stories in regulatory affairs with the assistance of our team of reporters around the globe. And don't let that adjective regulatory put you off because today's program deals with issues you'd most certainly be familiar with. In fact, we're discussing two of the world's most prominent digital platforms, Facebook and Google. In just under 10 minutes from now, we'll be crossing to Luxembourg, where our editor-in-chief, Lewis Crofts, has spent the entire week passing and analysing every sentence uttered at the EU's general court. That's where Google is appealing a massive antitrust fine relating to its Android operating system. It's an incredibly important hearing, and not surprisingly, it has attracted global attention. First up, though, we head straight for Silicon Valley to raise questions about Facebook's financial outlook. Now, I know it sounds like a preposterous premise. This is, after all, a digital platform that has been growing and growing. In fact, it earned a record 29 billion US dollars for the second quarter of 2021. So what's the issue, I hear you ask? Well, it's about privacy regulation and changes to Apple's privacy policy. Both those factors are likely to have a very real impact on Facebook's bottom line. I know this because our chief global digital risk correspondent, Mike Swift, has written an insightful piece of analysis on this very issue, and Mike joins me right now. So, uh, Mike, lay it out for me. What's the worry about privacy regulation and Apple's changes? Sure. So um, today it's September 30th where I'm speaking, and uh, today's the day that Facebook closes the book on its uh, third quarter earnings. And this will be the first quarter where uh, it's the first full quarter where Apple's changes have been in effect for the full three months. And uh, about a week ago, uh, Facebook dropped a a little mini bombshell in the sense that they posted a blog post saying that uh, these regulatory uh, privacy headwinds that we've been warning about for years uh, appear to be kicking in now. So um, uh, that had an effect that day on Facebook stock, and it, uh, we're uh, looking to see what's going to be happening next. Now, Facebook has been warning since late 2019 about what it calls ad targeting related headwinds and uncertainties uh, as a result of uh, both regulatory changes uh, such as Europe's um, GDPR, California's CCPA, and also more more recently uh, Apple's changes to its iOS platform uh, that allow uh, consumers to remove themselves from third-party uh, tracking. But why haven't those headwinds that were flagged back in 2019, why haven't they begun to blow? Well, that's the multi-billion dollar question. Um, I mean, going back to the third quarter of 2019, Facebook's chief financial officer began warning about these regulatory headwinds. And initially, the worry was really um, the GDPR in, in Europe and uh, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which um, hadn't yet taken effect at that time. And then uh, more recently, really the last six months, they've really been warning about these changes that Apple has made uh, starting in April to its iOS platform, where they're basically uh, every time an app pops up, uh, it, consumers are prompted to decide, do you want to allow tracking by third parties? And they have to say yes or no. 
So I think one thing which may have delayed this is really the COVID pandemic that uh, Facebook and many other online platforms, that was really a boon for them. Uh, The internet was a lifeline for all of us. It was for business. People spent more time online than they ever have before. And that was uh, hugely to Facebook's benefit. And we don't really know how much of it was COVID and how much of it was just uh, their continued growth around the world. They've continued to add audience, particularly in Asia and the developing world. And uh, even in North America and Europe, they're still earning more per Facebook member than they ever have before in advertising. So it's kind of a mystery. We don't know. We've been waiting. You know, these warnings keep coming every quarter, but we don't see it in Facebook's numbers. But given this blog post last week, it sure looks like we're going to see it in the current quarter's results. Well, let's expand on that a little bit. What makes us think that these regulatory and mobile headwinds might now be starting to kick in? Right. Well, um, the the blog post was um, uh, basically a, 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 on a blog that, that is uh, aimed at advertisers and, and ad developers and said that basically about 15% of uh, conversions on iOS are not being picked up by Facebook's analytics. And so that's a big hole. And um, what Facebook has talked about is losing the signal that um, Facebook's ads are so valuable because they can be targeted so precisely, not just based on who you are in terms of demographically, but also where you live and also your relationships because Facebook knows all those. But um, that signal is is all dependent on, you know, a continued flow of data. And Facebook basically acknowledged that with these Apple changes, uh, 15% of uh, the conversions are that it's lost that signal, 15% of its signal. They also acknowledged in that post that um, they're hearing from advertisers that the impact on their ad spend has been greater than they expected, which seems like an ominous thing to report. But that really seems to sort of point to that the the tea leaves are suggesting that uh, when Facebook reports its earnings at the end of October, that we're really going to see a measurable impact of privacy for the first time, which is really kind of a landmark in, in, in regulatory history. Does this mean that the wheels are coming off the metaphorical gravy train, that the rivers of gold will no longer flow? Or is there something that Facebook can do about this? There's a lot that Facebook can do. And no, I, I certainly don't think that... Um, uh, the wheels are kind of coming off the gravy train over in Menlo Park uh, here in Silicon Valley. Um, Facebook, for example, is talking about kind of countermeasures it can take called uh, privacy enhancing technologies. These are um, essentially very sophisticated technological changes that they can make that allow them to continue to get that signal from people, even if it isn't tied so directly to people's uh, identity. Um, so um, they can do more processing on devices. They can do something called differential privacy, where um, they're able to introduce noise into data, and, and uh, that way it's not uh, tied to a person's identity so much. The hope is that all these things are going to allow them to basically uh, continue to um, have a very rich stream of data, even if it isn't tied so directly to individuals' identities. And and so you might have that, that sort of a compromise that would allow them to not feel such an intense pinch from what Apple has done and what the privacy laws are doing. Do we know how much of the slowdown we might see this quarter is coming from regulatory changes 
and what share uh, might be due to Apple's changes to the iOS system that you just uh, mentioned earlier on? We don't know that, unfortunately. Um, Apple has not released any uh, detailed information on, on how people are choosing uh, in terms of allowing to be tracked or not. So we don't know that. We, we think it's a majority of people that are, that are saying, no, don't track me. Um, but we don't know how the breakdown is between regulatory changes like the GDPR and the California law and Apple's changes. Um, things are just moving too quickly. It's too, too soon to know. The GDPR even now is just uh, three years old, uh, still not really mature. And we're still seeing you know, regulatory uh, penalties being handed down. Yet another uh, uncertainty is uh, international data transfers that could factor into all this stuff. So unfortunately, we don't know that. It's a very murky picture, uh, but it will be um, highly interesting when uh, Facebook reports its numbers at the end of October. Mike, it has been great talking as always. Let's uh, speak again very soon. Thanks, James. It was great. Mike Swift, MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent, speaking to us from San Francisco. And Mike's analysis is titled Signs Emerge That Privacy May Lighten Facebook's Advertising Pot of Gold. And it's available for you to read at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Just head for the News Hub tab. You're with MLEX's weekly podcast. Thank you for making it this far. And don't forget that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And please uh, leave a review or a comment where possible and help us spread the word. Now, Google has 4.34 billion reasons to appeal the fine it received from the European Commission back in 2018 over its Android operating system. That's 4.3 billion euros of penalty, around 5.1 billion US dollars. That fine was for abusive Android contracts, which tied the hands of phone makers and stopped rival makers of search apps and browsers from getting onto handsets. But how strong is Google's case? MLEX Editor-in-Chief Lewis Crofts has schlepped to the lower-tier general court in Luxembourg and has spent the week following events, and he joins me now. So, Lewis, how did we uh, get to where we are today exactly? It's been a long journey. Uh, this is the second big case that Google's facing from the European Commission. You remember that their first landmark fine was over the shopping service, the online price comparison service. This is about mobile phones. This is about the Android handset, the Android operating system, which runs on a lot in most of the world's phones. And what the European Commission decided in 2018 was that the way Android contracts were being rolled out was effectively Google trying to take the dominance that it has from your laptop and your desktop and leverage that, extend that into your handset. So at a time when, you know, back, you know, back 10 years maybe when we'd all got brand new, brand spanking new smartphones and we started to do lots of stuff on the smartphones, Google saw this happening and said, we can't let the smartphone market get away from us. We want to be as big on smartphones as we were and as we are on desktops. So they fined the company 4.34 billion, which remains the largest uh, fine imposed on a single company for an antitrust offence. And they were given uh, five days in court this week. Uh, we're on the fifth day now. Um, we're recording this on a Friday. And essentially, Google has tried to take down each slice of the European Commission's case against it. 
this is normal, this is their right, it takes a while to get to court, it takes a while to hear these things, so the fact that it's 2021 and the and the fine was imposed in 2018 is normal, and it will take a while to write the judgment, so we probably won't hear for, for another year or so to, to get the answer out of the court about whether the judge the judges decide to either uphold the fine, so side with the commission and say, sorry Google, you did it, annul the fine, scrap it entirely, or do something in between and say, well the case was, you know, half your case uh, stands, but half your case falls, so we're going to reduce the fine by half, for example. Okay, so the case hinges on a network of three different contracts, which the EU says uh, stitch up the mobile device and entrench Google's search power. So tell me about those uh, contracts. What do they What do they entail? Yeah, so there's three different types. The Commission says they're all sort of interlocking, and they all um, are, a, are a web that phone makers, you know, makers of handsets like LG or or, or, uh, or Samsung, or indeed companies like Deutsche Telekom, which you know, also roll out mobile phones in Germany, uh, they get caught up in this web and uh, essentially it stops them choosing to have another company on the, on the handset, such as a, a Bing search engine from, from Microsoft. That's essentially the case. Three of them. One is called the Madder, and that is the one which says, if you have an Android handset, you also have to have Play Store, and browser and search. So basically, if you're going to have Android, you've got to put Google search engine on it and you've got to put Google's web browser, which is called Chrome, on it. Automatically, the commission says that keeps other search engines and other browsers off the market. The second contract um, is called the AFA, AFA, which are the anti-fragmentation rules. So this is Google saying that we need a certain degree of compatibility on Android handsets. People buy an Android handset and they want it to work. And so we're going to you know, force people, oblige people uh, to, you know, to have a baseline compatibility. And if you um, change Android, and that I means people do that because Android is an open source service. You, can, you, know, you or I could take it and we could run our lawnmowers off it if we wanted to. But if you develop it, if you, if you bend it and distort it, what's called a fork, sort of out of shape so it's no longer compatible then essentially uh you know we will we will we will stop you selling uh, other phones so what the european commission says is these are rules these are compatibility rules meant to f- sort of force people force phone makers keep them in what they say as androidville you can't make a phone you can't make an android phone which is outside of google sphere and obviously what the commission says is that this um um, stops him a competitor to Android emerging. And the final one is called the RSA, and this is the revenue share agreement. And this is an agreement between Google and phone makers uh, where Google says that if you pre-install as a default search, so if you make sure our search engines on your phone as a default, then we'll give you a slice of the revenues for when people search on phones, you know, advertising revenues and people, when people search on phones, you know, sometimes maybe 20% of the revenues. Again, what this means is that a phone maker is encouraged, enticed to get Google search engine on the phones because they get money for it. But crucially, what this means is someone else who's got a search engine, James, say you and I were to invent a search engine. What we would have to do is, you know, find a, a, enough money to knock out Google in or, Google's um, revenue share agreement in order to get on the phone. So these are three rather complicated things. Basically, the court's been looking at each of them in turn. It took a whole day on the first on the first one, for example, and working out whether they are separately, um, you know, an infringement, but also has an as an interlocking whole, uh, whether that also excludes rivals.
Now, over the past week, Google has argued that Android has huge benefits for the world. Now, that's hardly surprising they, the, the company would say that, but it also argued that it's allowed to promote those benefits. Now, how did that argument go down with the judges at the European Court? So Google's argument is um, essentially that their case is not like past cases. It's not like, imagine uh, past cases 10, 15 years ago with Microsoft's browser at a time when uh, at a time when they, you, know, you used to have a crackly connection to, to, to dial into the internet. Uh, nowadays, the internet is, well, we've got it all in our pockets, it's super fast. And the idea that um, a consumer is tied into a particular web service is nonsense. The average person downloads 40 to 60 apps on their phone. You can download an app in seconds. If you don't like it, you, know, you, you can go through the browser, you can download your own app. There are loads of different entry points to the market. The, the world's biggest phones are, uh, or what's some of the world's successful, most successful phones are Apple phones. You know, the idea that anyone's tied into the Android world um, is absolute nonsense. And they point to the ease of downloading. They also say, all we're trying to do, faced with Apple, faced with this massive company, you know, the world's biggest, richest company, we're trying to promote our products so we get out there and we can rival them toe-to-toe in the market. If you go into any mobile phone store, you'll see the kind of choice. And this choice is only available because we're out there promoting um, uh, Android handsets. And also, crucially, what they say is, um, Android is open source. It is free. The world can have it. As I said, you and I can have it for our robot lawnmowers. And in order to make it free, in order to have the thousands of programmers to keep it up to date and to, to keep it working, because you know, as soon as your phone doesn't work, you'll just chuck it in the bin and you, um, you'll go and get an Apple one. And so it requires money, it requires investment. The way that it's monetized and the way that that investment in development and so forth is sustained is through these contracts. And uh, it's up to, you know, the, you plead to the court to say, look how much good Android has done for the world. And it's difficult to dispute that. It has brought cheap phones to everyone. Look how much good it's done to the world. The commission says naturally, uh, yeah, at, but at what cost? At the cost of other companies, other search engines. There's a Czech one called Seznam. There's a French one called Quant who just couldn't get a foothold. They just couldn't get into the game. And so this idea of of... of you know, giving uh, Android to the world as a common good was aired and uh, the EU consumer body, Bayouk, said um, the judges should burst the bubble of that narrative. Mm. And what about the fine that I mentioned in the introduction, this mega 4.34 billion euro uh, fine? Uh, what are the chances of that being cut down? Yeah, the funny thing about the fines is sort of in days in court, many more hours are set aside for rigorous legal debate over these contracts and you know the fine which is as i said the world's largest fine on a single company for an antitrust offense is sort of you know resigned to an hour and a half on a on a thursday afternoon uh, but the fine you know makes good headlines for us in the press and it is big and it is important uh, what google say is uh, compared to other companies in the past have been fined you know people like intel were fine intel was the first company to be fined over a billion um, you've treated us very differently from Intel. That's what they say. You know, you've got to, you know, you can, you can come up with your own fine and the EU has a lot of discretion to calculate fines um, as it wants to. But you've got to be consistent with how you treat other people. And you've, been, you've been so harsh on us. And that's just not right. This is a new kind of case. We could never have known this was going to happen. You know, ha- when we were rolling out Android and the, and the mobile revolution was happening, how would we have known that 
10 years later, you would have seen these contracts as, as anti-competitive. What, um, what the commission says is, you knew full well, they pointed to a, a blog post by Sundar Pichai, who is now the CEO of, of, of Alphabet and, and once had a, had a lesser role, which indicated that he was blogging about Microsoft doing just some dodgy tactics. And so he would have known just as well. Um, what the game is really, you know, it's rare that people are null fines. It does happen, but it's rare that you have a sort of total um, hands down win. What usually happens is if, you know, judges maybe buy a part of your case and they say, Do you know what, we look quite like your argument on, you know, this particular contract or that particular contract. So we're going to reduce the fine. And, you know, reducing the fine uh, on average, it used to be people thought that they could get a 10% reduction out of, uh, out of, out of judges. 10% of 4.34 billion is a, is a pretty penny. It easily covers the lawyers. Um, so that's why people appeal. Uh, the court yesterday certainly looked into what it would mean if they bought, if they sided with Google on, on one slice of their case. Would it mean that the whole decision falls? Would it mean that we take a slice off the, off, off the fine? You know, fines are difficult to um, judge. They have to be difficult to judge because if you as a company could work out exactly what number you were facing, you would just get your, um, get your in-house mathematicians to work out whether breaking the law was worth it or not. So there has to be some jeopardy involved in a fine. And um, there are also judges have um, what's called unlimited jurisdiction, so absolute power to uh, uh, change the fine in any wish, any way they wish. They can turn it up, they can turn it down, they can they can leave it as it is. So it's very difficult to judge that. You know, fine reductions are are normal, are commonplace. Um, you know, the, and they, the key really though for for the commission and the key for Google is the guts of the case, is the legal case rather than the numbers, although obviously the money helps. Now, finally, Lewis, does this case have broader implications than just the world of EU law? I mean, is it likely to resonate further afield? Um, It does, James, and it does for two reasons. Um, One, other people around the world are looking into this conduct. Yeah, it won't escape your attention that regulators in Korea and Japan and Australia and uh, and obviously the US and, and the UK are all taking on big tech in a number of different ways. Uh, and this is one of the really, really big, big battles. And so everyone's eyes will, will, will be on this and they'll be looking to see how it inspires their cases or not, looking to see sort of which way the wind blows. But more specifically, this is a case, the sort of first big case to reach the EU courts, which is about a platform. A platform has... Um, people on both sides. In this instance, it's got um, Android has users like you and me on one side. It has app developers, people making you know apps for the phone. On the other side, it's got phone makers like Samsung. On another side, again, it's got people like Deutsche Telekom, France Telecom, or O2. You know, people um, selling mobile phone subscriptions. So there are lots of interests at play here. And what the uh, court is being asked to rule is how do we balance those interests? You know, is hurting one group of people, does it matter if um, another group of people have a massive benefit? So we've all benefited from huge rollout of mobile phones. Okay, that might have been at the cost of a few app developers, but is that on the whole okay? And if there's one thing that big tech is, it's platforms. Amazon is a platform that matches um, sellers with buyers. You know, the App Store is a platform, again, that matches app developers with people like you and me, you know, um, downloading apps. Uh, Facebook is a platform that matches, you know, people with friends, the people you, um, with, with other friends. And so um, it will be very, very interesting to see how a court rules on the nature of an Internet platform, because 
what's at the core to all these future cases around the world is how do you evaluate a tech platform. Lewis, thank you so much for uh, walking us through this today and have a safe trip back to Brussels. Thanks, James. Lewis Crofts, MLEX's editor-in-chief, speaking to us from Luxembourg, where he has been covering Google's appeal at the General Court of the Court of Justice of the European Union. And we'll have a link to one of his most recent reports from the court at the usual address, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. And make a beeline for the News Hub tab. Now, very sadly, that's all we have time for this week. But let me reassure you that we'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. I hope you can join me then. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor. And from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.